Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Why should you visit thechairshot.com? TheChairShot.com is your home for hard-hitting reviews, news, opinion, and analysis with attitude. Why? Because you're smarter than the average fan. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. Before we get started, um, good good evening. Welcome to the reaction here on the Chair Shot Radio Network. I'm Harry Brawlhurst. Joining me, as per usual, Tony Acero. Yo. Um, normally, we do a high a high energy introduction. We do something something to get you guys motivated to listen to the rest of the show. Kind of tease what's to come. You'll notice there's no list for Gleesey this week. And the reason there's no Liz Puglisi this week is because her mother's in the hospital. So I want to take this opportunity at the start of tonight's edition of The Reaction to send my best to the Puglisi family and specifically Nanny Puglisi in hopes of a quick recovery and an imminent return home. All right. So now that that's out of the way, again, our best wishes to Liz and Nanny Puglisi. Um, you ready to get into tonight's show, Tony? We got a little bit to get to, and we got predictions to make tonight as well. So, 
All right. All right, so SmackDown has our first discussion, and in the process of discussing SmackDown, one of the things that happened on this past week's episode was Sami Zayn returned to the ring for the first time in six months since he beat Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania. And in the process of Sami returning to the ring, he fell to AJ Styles. But the more important conversation to have about this match, because Sami looked good, Styles looked good, the match was good. It's what you'd expect from Styles and Zayn. Maybe not quite up to the level of what they might be capable of, but I'd attribute that to maybe a little bit of ring rust on Sami's case. But the more important thing to discuss there is the fact that Jeff Hardy came out and took out both guys after the match and then issued the challenge. And, Tony, I feel like we had a conversation last week about potentially a triple threat ladder match for the Intercontinental title here on the show. And wouldn't you know it, it's a triple threat ladder match for the Intercontinental title at Clash of Champions. Yep. The... Somewhat obvious uh, booking aside, because it was clear that they were leaning towards a triple threat there. The latter match just, it makes sense given the Intercontinental title's history, especially when there are double champions here. Obviously, this is going to be my most looked forward to match at Clash of Champions, but it's also going to be one that I'm kind of worried about because I worry that the energy for ladder matches might not necessarily be there without a live audience to, to fuel the wrestlers on. Do you think that the ladder match itself is a good stipulation to have in this current climate, given the fact that they can't have the reaction they might necessarily get for it? And what are your thoughts on this particular three-way turning into a ladder match as well? Yeah, I don't, I mean, I think we have, we have to understand and accept the fact that the audience isn't there. And now that the WWE pipes in crowd reactions, I mean, there's not too big of a worry either way. So no, I, I predict it's going to be just fine. Um, won't be much of a difference than if we had a crowd because WWE is going to control the narrative with the cheers and whatnot. I'm excited about the match, though, and I actually think that Sammy versus AJ was really good. Um, there was a certain type of uh, um, energy that Sammy had. Like, he knew this was his return match, and he wanted to prove, you know, that he could still go. So I, I thought it was a really good match, actually. I'm not complaining about the match, but I do think they're capable of more. Also, I think that a pay-per-view format would suit these two a lot better than the television format with the uh, with the clear WWE television format of short of the action, most of the major action not happening until after the commercial break. Yeah, which is really unfortunate because it's so noticeable. The other main talking point from this episode of SmackDown that I wanted to get to was hold on, let me pull this up here. I have to pull up your I have to pull up your report so that way I have the other stuff to discuss. The other main talking point that I wanted to get to is uh briefcase removal via contrition. Maybe they realized that they've made a mistake with the money in the bank briefcase and now they're trying to walk it back. Miz and Morrison host the dirt sheet to open the show. Miz and Morrison talk shit on Otis, which is pretty much what they've been doing for the last couple of months. Otis comes out and beats both their asses basically single-handedly. I mean, Tucker threw them back in a couple of times for Otis to continue beating their asses, but way to make Miz and Morrison look like a threat there, guys. But um, as that was happening, after that was happening, we see an interview backstage where Miz is... Miz? Apparently he's Marge... Mo's opinion of March on The Simpsons now. 
where Miz is still in his skivvies talking to Caleb Braxton, and Miz receives a phone call from a lawyer, apparently. We find this out later when Otis is served with a restraining order and a notice of intention to sue for, I'm assuming, um, mental anguish and all that other fun bullshit. Two-part question, Tony. One, are you buying the uh, Miz character as somebody that would stoop to this level? Two, do you think this is a case of buyer's remorse when it comes to the Money in the Bank briefcase? Um, I'm not buying that the Miz wouldn't do this, but the whole execution of this entire thing is just its stupid. From stealing the briefcase and assuming that that means you are now the Money in the Bank you know, holder to – the whole dynamic of, you know, making fun of Otis because he's fat, which is all we're ever getting with every single feud that he's in. Um, Miz Morrison, I've had problems with them since Morrison's return. They're not funny. They're not entertaining. I don't really know, like, what happened. The Miz has always been great, but he's really gotten dumbed down since Mor- uh, Morrison has returned. And it's, it's noticeable and it's bothersome. Uh, it's with regard more- to... But it's more juvenile. It's more juvenilistic. Well, juvenile is fine, but yeah, it is. It's definitely. It just. It's annoying, um, and it's not funny. I, I have not laughed at a segment that they've had yet, and I know that they're funny because you can you can tell there's there's banter there, and it's they they have an energy and they have chemistry, but it's just bad content. It's just annoying. So, um, do I think the Miz? Uh, could stoop to this level. I do. I just wish it was better written because I think he sued over uh, hazardous workplace is what I think the guy said. I don't recall. Uh, Tucker read it to him, the complaint, and that was one of them, which you wouldn't be suing Otis. You'd be suing WWE. Um, and then a couple of other things. And, and in an actual form letter, you would put, if you give me the briefcase, we're good. Like, I don't see that happening. I don't see how that makes sense. It just it's It's another... Another in a long line of moments that the WWE has used to basically insult their audience. Do you think it's a case of buyer's remorse when it comes to the briefcase? I mean, I don't know. The storyline is there. You know, we've talked about the briefcase being used as a tool to to make stars, but it's also a tool to, to create stories. So, if it is just Otis, them trying to give Otis some type of clout and legitimacy, then that's, you know, okay. It doesn't minimize the stupidity behind the segments. But um, you also have to consider that if they don't want Otis to have it and Miz or Morrison gets it, I mean, how does that make somebody feel? I think that either one of them would be an interesting person to run with the briefcase, but that means they're no longer a tag team, at least for, you know, at least not not at least for the foreseeable future, but um, eventually they won't be. Well, it would assume that that would stand to to your um, to your approval, though, given the fact that you've been kind of down on the reuniting of Miz and Morrison as a tag team here, just due to the juvenile nature of the segments that they've been having. Do you think that having those two kind of step up and feud against each other for the possession of the briefcase would be a way to go with this here? And is that something you'd have any interest in? I've long since felt that the briefcase should be used for people who otherwise wouldn't have a chance or an opportunity at the title. And I think that both Miz and Morrison, if booked correctly, have a legitimate chance at any title. So 
you know, that, that the briefcase is just, you're, you're, I don't know, it's unnecessary. I would say Miz more so than Morrison, because Morrison's never been portrayed at that level in the WWE. Yeah, if they found a way to give it to Morrison in a, you know, creative manner, then I guess I wouldn't be too bothered, but the current way that they're doing it is just, it's, I don't know, especially after Raw tonight, it's like they're not, they don't, they they really think we're stupid. That's what I think. I think that either A, they don't think we can retain information, or B, they don't care. And both of those are horrible. The other main thing to discuss from SmackDown is the Samoan Street fight that main evented the show. We talked about Roman Reigns' just kind of casually walking in towards the end of matches, getting kind of old hat and kind of repetitive after it happening on back-to-back episodes. Well, this time, uh, Roman Reigns started the Samoan Street fight, and they were he was involved for the entirety of it. Is he teamed with Jey Uso to take on Baron Corbin and Sheamus once again. This time, however, um, in kind of an interesting twist, I thought it was Jey that stole the pin from Roman as Roman hit the spear on, I think he hit the spear on Sheamus. It might have been Corbin, but I think it was Sheamus. And then as soon as Roman hit the spear, uh, Jay came off the top with the superfly splash and got the three count, while Roman kind of gave him a sideways look when he did so. Post-match, they embraced, they hugged it up, but you can kind of see Roman's face that he's not really feeling the embrace, and even more so when Heyman's in the ring, keeping him from walking away with Jey Uso after the match itself as SmackDown goes off the air. I got to tell you, Tony, I think this might be the best book story on SmackDown right now. I mean, I think that Roman's faces alone added so much to this moment. Um, and I don't disagree. It, it's great TV. I'm enjoying it. I mean, the match was hardly a street fight, um, but I don't think that was the point anyway. Uh, it was, you know, the story being told in the ring, and I'm I'm enjoying it. It's giving a lot of uh, a lot of quality to SmackDown, and that's why it's been better than Raw for the past several weeks. They're just they're going full force with it. This isn't a a, a half-assed heel turn. Ray Reigns is a badass and he is the tribal chief and he's going to beat his cousin's ass. Like you believe all of that. You believe every single thing that he said. Oh, this 100% ends and we'll we'll talk about our predictions uh we'll talk about our predictions for Clash of Champions later, but spoiler alert, this 100% ends with Jey Uso catching an ass whooping on Sunday. And if it doesn't, something's gone horribly wrong. Yeah, he's going to get it. Do, do you think part of this can be attested to Paul Heyman's presence on SmackDown now being kind of a driving force for the cohesiveness of creative on SmackDown? I mean, I don't know how much play he has in that arena. We've heard that he's not a part of it at all. But this isn't even like, oh, I think Heyman's fingerprint. I don't, uh, you know, it's not even like, oh, I see Heyman's fingerprints all over this. It's not that. It's just it's something that I've been saying for years. Some of the best stories are the easiest ones. This one is not, man. This is something that you could fucking book on a Tuesday. <laughs> um, it's just a matter of the believability, the characters involved, and the, the trust that in your performer. Jay is a young and cool and brash, like, dude, I'm just here to have a good time, and you're my cousin, and this is a great opportunity, and let's fucking burn the house down. And Reigns is like, no, I'm, I'm going to destroy you. Like, I, I need you to understand. Like, 
Like, we're family, but I'm going to murder you. Uh, I'm not playing around, Ray. <laughs> I'm going to rip your head off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, pretty much along the lines of the Batista Ray turn back from 2011 or 2009. The only reason that one sits so fresh in my memory is because I was actually at the show where Batista turned on Ray. So it kind of holds a special place for me. Batista was supposed to be a heel there, but he was not treated as such when he turned on Ray. Liz was probably cheering at home in, in New York as well. Yeah. I feel like that. I feel like that's a safe assumption. Quick hits for SmackDown. Are you ready? Yep. Lucha House Party appears to be breaking up. Do you care at all? Not only do I not care, um, I just, again, this is another one where you're you're just insulted as a fan. Like, in what world does a, a team, a wrestler of numerous years, professionals, go up on the apron to tell a wrestler to do a springboard? Like, it just, it's, it's stupid. Never have we seen these guys do that. And why would they argue over who's telling Grand Metalik to do a move that we've seen them do? Like it just, it's, it, uh, it was just, it's dumb. And of course, nobody cares. I think it's sadder that Cesaro had to rely on a distraction in order in order to pick up another victory. Yeah, I mean, one could, you know, defend it because he's a heel, so it's, it's fine. It's something that heels do, but it's just, I don't know. I was vaguely interested in Kalisto coming back and being kind of a dickhead. Like, you haven't been here at all, and you're trying to bark orders. But they shifted it to uh, just, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what they shifted. It's just weird. It's not, it's, it's lost any interest that I've had. We'll talk more about these four men a little bit later on in the show because I'm pretty sure we know where this is going for Sunday. Rather or not, what happens there is kind of discretionary once we get to that point. Um, moving forward, okay, Jay's promo. Moment of bliss. Sees Alexa interview Nikki and... Nikki actually showing some passion and talking about the fact that the playing field's finally level now that Sasha isn't in Bailey's corner for Nikki's return match with Bailey at Clash of Champions. Nikki actually does a really good job turning the tables on Alexa and we get kind of so, we get kind of sort of an idea behind what's going on with Little Miss Bliss, but without fully expanding into it. Um <laughs> what did you think of yeah. Mo- what did you think of Moment of Bliss in general? Uh, I thought Nikki's promo was cute. I thought it was good. Um, very passionate. And, you know, she's really getting the grasp on who her character is, which helps because aside from being crazy, we don't really know who she is. Um, when it got to the whole scene being the code word, like whether they wanted it to happen or not, I was immediately reminded of the bell ringing and Festus going like, you know, full ape shit. And that's not what you want to be reminded of when you think of Alexa. Um, To to make it like a trance where she hear when she hears the words "the fiend," is just so. It it shouldn't be like a code word. Like this isn't you know, fucking Winter Soldier. It's not. It doesn't. It doesn't make sense because they're gonna have to explain how that works. Well, up until now, we could have just believed that it's just some type of Stockholm syndrome where she fell in love with her captor 
but to make it like a word causes the trance is just too eh. I don't know. Every time every time these guys are on to something, they try to go either too deep or like not deep enough. And it just it causes things like today. It kind of took me out of the storyline. Not completely, because Alexa Bliss is amazing and she's you know she knows what she's doing and she's doing her best, but like that's just why did we have to go that route? Speaking of why did we have to go that route? Tony, I'm about to say the three most dreaded words in all of professional wrestling. You ready? Okay, go. Fucking hand sanitizer. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Nikki Cross takes on Lacey Evans in one-on-one action, and Nikki picks up a victory, which she needed going into the match with Bailey. so I'm not going to complain about that. Plus, it was a pretty decent little match. The problem was, and I will let you take it from here. Well, first I say I was really surprised and excited that Lacey had this viciousness in her, which made the match come off as, like, not bad. I, w- I was very impressed, which makes the ending all the more annoying. Um, Lacey coming out with hand sanitizer is funny because everybody's a nasty to her and she wants to cleanse the world with her southern, you know, bellness. So that you know what it kind of reminds me of? What? Sorry to cut you off, but you know what it kind of reminds me of? You remember the old uh, JBL kissing hands and shaking babies? Yep. And how he kept a little bottle of pocket of pocket hand sanitizer for any time he would shake a fan's hand at ringside? Yeah. That's what it reminds me of. That kind of self-obsessed douchebag who doesn't really think that they're on the same level as any of the plebeians they happen to be around. Right. And it just makes sense, right? What doesn't make sense is a wrestler bringing the hand sanitizer into the ring and dousing a competitor with it in their eyes. (laughs) And that person screaming for all of... Four seconds, and then suddenly and seemingly she's fine. Now, I haven't actively poured hand sanitizer into my eyes, but there are those rare occasions where something, I'll give you an example. Just recently at the restaurant, um, I was wearing contacts, and I dropped a small little ramekin of what we have. It's habanero relish. It's, we make it in-house, and it's got habanero chili in it. So this little thing, this little cup dropped and one just a little splash just right in my eye. Harry, when I tell you I went crazy, like it was what? Because I had contacts. I did not bring any solution. I didn't bring glasses. So it was just, it was havoc. It was, it was horrible. I was like super frightened. It hurt. It burned like hell. I had to remove the contact immediately. And it just, it like, it was a good 30 minutes with my eye just like feeling like it was being pierced, you know, with a hot poker. Then we go to Raw, uh, to SmackDown, and Nikki recovers in all of three seconds with from hand sanitizer in the eye. <laughs> it's just, uh, I mean, this it's a growing trend. All right, We're, you're insulting me right now. Like, I get the idea and I get the concept, but that should have been. And and why wasn't uh, why in this right here? This is the kicker, and this is something that you're probably more upset about because you're big on the wrestling rules. No. That wasn't a disqualification at all. At all. Not it wasn't only that. hidden. It was, no. Hold on. No, because now you're going to get me started. 
Because you actually <laughs> no, brought this up in the Raw report as well. Not only was it not a disqualification, you had Michael Cole literally shitting on, okay, figuratively, shitting on the referee for not calling for the disqualification. Yeah. So not only are we not going to DQ him, but we're going to talk about how shitty our referees are for not disqualifying him. No, that's on you for not having the referee be informed that that should have been the finish then. You said yeah, the, the WWE referees is supposed to weird. They do that a lot. They, they like they point out their own mistakes. <laughs> they say that these referees are supposed to be more hands-on. Like, take the situation with Mickey and uh, Oscar last week and the referee thinking that Mickey was concussed. They say that the referees are supposed to be more hands-on. Then why the fuck would you cut that referee's balls off by having him use the hand sanitizer right in front of him? <laughs> Literally in the eyes of a competitor. Like, anytime somebody spit green mist, that was a DQ. Like, <laughs> especially if a ref saw it. Like, uh... so, Which is one of the little things I loved about NXT. When uh, EO used the green mist on, on Sasha... When Sasha went to NXT and EO hit her with the green mist, green mist, and then EO made sure to use her thigh to cover Sasha's face with the pinball so that the referee yep. couldn't see the mist. All right, so anyway, enough of that because we could sit here and talk about that the rest of the show because that pissed me off. I will say that I, I understand where you're coming from by having Alexa, like, not you, Tablet, by having Bliss reacting to The Fiend. But I think that there's maybe like a mental programming thing that there's gonna, that's going to come into play there that I'm willing to kind of suspend my disbelief on for that. Yeah, I mean, I, we have time to see. It just, yeah, my, my initial reaction was, man. <laughs> you're not, not only that, you hate when I tell stories for them, too, so. Yeah. Speaking of your beloved Miss Banks, Bailey beat that ass again. <laughs> yes. Sasha has an Sasha has a interview at the Performance Center. Sasha actually cuts a very fiery promo. I thought this was one of her better promos, and not one that I really saw. Have I, I? I didn't expect this from her because you know my opinion. I don't think Sasha's a very good babyface. That being right. said, she cut a she cut a very good babyface promo here talking about the fact that Bailey's going to get hers because Sasha's going to take away the thing that Bailey holds closest, and that's the SmackDown Women's title. Bailey apparently heard this and was at the Performance Center working out while this interview was being filmed and decided to jump Sasha from behind and lay her out again, attempting to pulmonize her once again until the referees broke it up from, to ha- keep it from happening the second time. First, your thoughts on Sasha's promo work, then your thoughts on the attack. Um, I thought the promo was great, but I am biased. Um, I have admitted many times, though, that I don't think Sasha is a good promo, babyface or heel. She has weird enunciation. She focuses on the wrong words, and she has that same cadence that a lot of the female uh, wrestlers have in the WWE in terms of promos. Um, so sometimes it just doesn't come off as authentic, but this one felt real. Um, you can call her out for, you know, kind of making it seem like she didn't need a neck brace because she was moving ahead a hell of a lot, but I'm willing to let that pass. Bailey beating her ass again is just, I mean, fuck it, <laughs> you know? 
Um, the ref checking on it. Yeah, I thought that this was a well-done segment, even though the wrestlers that ended up coming to check on Sasha were, like, shorter than Rey Mysterio. Um, but, yeah, it was a well-done segment. One little thing that we didn't discuss in the Otis and Tucker conversation about the lawsuit. Otis says to Tucker, we're in trouble, Tucky. And Tucker looks to him and goes, no, you're in trouble. They're suing you. Do you think that's the beginning of something there? No, no. That's just, again, that's just them being short-sighted. Got to give him something to say. And, I mean, that's something, you know, I mean, even if, if Tony got sued, that's something Harry would say. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> Tony, you're in trouble, buddy. So it's, I don't think it's going to lead to anything. <laughs> this defamation this defamation lawsuit's on you, not me. <laughs> you're like, I express that the views of this show. <laughs> <laughs> I have explicitly said many times the views and opinions of Tony and Sarah do not necessarily reflect those of Harry Broder. <laughs> you like that, Larry? Not Harry. Larry. <laughs> A big E decided to beat up a security guard, but not just any security guard. The security guard that Seamus had set Big E up a couple of weeks ago. Big E was in the parking lot waiting for Seamus. Seamus escaped. The security guard, not so lucky. Um, belly to belly on the windshield looked nice. I was gonna, I'm wondering, like, is he going to hit the big ending on the windshield? What the fuck is that going to do? So I'm glad he went with the belly to belly instead. Um... You seem to really appreciate Big E uh, talking down to the security guard and just giving him a name because he didn't know his name. Oh, yeah. He went. He he must have went to the Mark Henry School of Ass Beating because Mark Henry did this the best, you know, like just talking shit while he's destroying people. Um, close second would be CM Punk. I, I distinctly remember uh, fix him so I could break him again. Like... <laughs> Now we have another one to add to the list with him saying, I don't know your name, so I'm going to call you Larry, and just going in on him. This is this is a fiery biggie. People think he should have changed his gimmick or dropped the New Day stuff. I don't necessarily think that because this has always been there, but this is what everybody was asking for, and I think that everyone should be fully satisfied with that because the boy was mad. <laughs> Two questions to ask from this. One, Another blow-off match is apparently in line with Sheamus in order to go further. I mean, after all, Sheamus did hit him with a a rate crash on the windshield here. Yeah. Do you do like a street fight similar to what we saw on Dynamite with the best friends and Santana and Ortiz? Um, It kind of well itself that way, doesn't it? Yeah, kind of. But it would be a bad idea to try to do one so close to that show because – this is a reaction for WWE products, but let me just explain to anybody and everybody that's listening. For the first time ever in my 10 years of reviewing wrestling on 411, I gave out a 10 out of 10 on a show, and I still stand by it. Um, <laughs> so it may not be in the interest, in the best interest of the WWE to give us a street fight with cars surrounding the wrestlers because the, the comparisons will be there, and they will lose. The... The best part of that was Sue flipping LAX the bird as they drove off. That show, man, it was like, oh, this is a great opening contest. Oh, this is a great second match. 
well, I didn't need MJF to squash anybody, but fuck it, it's MJF. Like, go ahead. And then it just got, it kept being good. Like, I'm not saying it got better and better, but it was just like, I, I hadn't felt that way about a wrestling show in so long. And it was amazing. It was, man, so good. The, the September 16th episode of Dynamite. Tony, where can people find your review for that episode? Uh, 401mania.com. I am there. I live there. I <laughs> I have stuff there all week. In the interest of fair play to the person sponsoring this podcast, you can also check out Stephen Mitchell's report for Dynamite over on thechairshot.com. Speaking of thechairshot.com and all that it entails, I was recently a guest on the, uh, I believe it's called The Bandwagon uh, with uh, Patrick O'Dowd. Talking about Batman. Yeah. So I was on an episode of that this week. If you guys want to hear me talk about Batman, um, you know, I'm actually a big fan. I'm sure people know. And I was able to nerd out a bit with them. So that was fun. The show is called Bandwagon Nerds. It's available in the archives on blogtalkradio.com backslash chairshot radio. There you go. Shoot. Yep. All right, back to it. Um, oh, last thing for SmackDown. We, find, we see another video for the mystery woman on SmackDown there. And we see her getting dressed up, and then she zips up and looks into a mirror. It turns towards us, but has a handheld mirror blocking her face there. Speculation is, and apparently you know how internet sleuths will be, that you can actually see a tattoo on the woman that's kind of covered with concealer, but you can make it out enough to make it look like it's Carmella. Would Carmella be a disappointing reveal for this? I mean, I wouldn't say disappointing, but it's just another one of those in the long line of vignettes for the women that don't really mean anything. You know, Mandy in a bathtub, or I'm sorry, Liv, Morgan, I mean, well, I'm pretty sure both of them did it. Um, you know, but, like, it doesn't really mean anything. Like, like, so it's just kind of pointless. It's not a new person. That's not a person debuting. So, I mean, how often do they debut or re-debut or re-whatever? And it's just kind of disappointing. Liv Morgan is a great example. She was being shown for weeks, showing up, going to be this completely different person. Turns out she like, was a lesbian at one point and ruins the marriage, and then that's it. And then she goes right back to Liv Morgan. <laughs> so Carmella, I it's just, yeah, I think it's just more of the same. I think she's going to come back, and she's still going to be Carmella. Like, she's still going to moonwalk, guaranteed, you know? So, I don't disappointment. Um, not necessarily because you have to have expectations. I don't have any expectations here. So, buy or sell that she comes back is Carmella Lena. That joke worked better well, in my a, head. That's a stupid ass name. Yeah, we're not going to Emmalina around. <laughs> I was just trying to go back to the whole Emmalina thing because they tried it with Lana too. Yeah, hers is like the same thing, same exact concept. This is like their go-to for returning women. Speaking well, returning of returning blonde, women, it appears. I was just about to say, speaking of returning women, your thoughts on Melina Perez signing a WWE contract? <sighs> I mean, I guess I'll see it. I'll believe it when I see it. Not that it's like, oh, shocking that it wouldn't happen, but, I mean, I don't have high hopes for any new new hire. They're, they're not – it's a shit show right now. So, And it has been for a while, but it's just – I just feel like there's not a lot of effort being put in right now. And I don't know if it's because they don't want to – blow their load on something during COVID when there's no audience, you know, if they're kind of like a slow crawl with certain storylines 
or they're just not that good. It's, it's really hard to decipher because I want to believe that they're just kind of chilling until this thing is over, and then they're going to go balls to the wall with storylines. But I just, looking at the track record, I, I don't think that's the case. I think they're just not good. <laughs> I, I will say this much. Um, late teens, Harry, into early 20s, had the absolute biggest fucking crush on Molina. So I'm all for it. Just wait till they take her splits away. Oh, those son of a bitches better not. Tony, you will hear a rant unleashed <laughs> on this podcast like you have never heard before. Well, better get it ready. <laughs> Overall show rating for SmackDown. Um, I believe that SmackDown continues to have some bright spots, even though it suffers from the continuous um, doldrums of WWE creative. So I think I gave it a seven. And if I didn't, I'll probably stick with that. I really enjoyed the Sammy versus Sheamus match. I love what they're doing with Reigns. Um, and the stupidity of certain things was kept to a minimum, unlike Raw, where the dumb things were the most focused on aspects of the show. You did give it a seven. I gave it a seven and a half. Cool. Um, much the same reason. I think they tend to keep their outside of hand sanitizer. I think they tend to keep their crazier things in check over on SmackDown. And I yeah. can stand by what I said earlier. I think part of that, I, 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 and I could be wrong. I feel like you can see kind of touches of Paul Heyman's creative influence on SmackDown. Yeah. And I mean, if that's the case, great. You know, I, I, I love that. Uh, Heyman has, from what we've seen in the past, been a super creative mind who needs somebody to kind of check him. Um, you know, that's at least from what we've seen. So if that's the case, then this is probably the best role for him where he's not in charge, but he has creative input. And let's be real here. Leaving brother love to book the fucking shows is probably a bad idea. Yeah, you know, he just, I think he really enjoys the weirdest things, you know? There's people that are like that. There's people that look at wrestling as a heavily uh, carny, you know, thing. And I think that that still carries over with the the people that are like Bruce Pritchard, who are kind of old school, but not old school wrestling. They're old school WWE, if that makes sense, you know? Okay, so over to Raw now we go, and the main talking point here is the heavyweight championship picture at Clash of Champions. As expected, Randy Orton returned tonight on Raw and took out Drew McIntyre with a chair shot after McIntyre hit Keith Lee with a Claymore kick. I get the idea behind Orton striking after the Claymore in order to kind of protect Keith Lee, but if you have to write it so that uh, Keith Lee needs a protection. Maybe the match isn't one that should have happened in general again. Yeah, and way to protect the him, having Orton kick his fucking head off. <laughs> I do think that Lee and McIntyre could be an excellent, have an excellent run for the championship if they decide to go that route. I think that Lee and Orton could have an excellent run for the championship if they decide to go that route. I don't think that Lee needed to be involved as a go-between in order to get you to McIntyre versus Orton at Clash of Champions in a return match from SummerSlam, and especially since you're adding the stipulation of the ambulance match. You really didn't need to go any further than what you did the first two weeks with Orton sending McIntyre off in an ambulance with a series of uh, punt kicks 
and then McIntyre sending Orton on in an ambulance with a series of claymores. Yeah, it was one of those Sometimes. stories that kind of wrote itself. Like, you know, this is the easiest route. Let's, okay. You, we even called it. You called it. You know, I saw an ambulance. Looks like we're having an ambulance match. Like, <laughs> Sometimes less is more, you know? Yeah, most times less is more. That being said, I do think that whoever ends up coming out of Clash of Champions is probably facing Keith Lee for the title at Survivor Series. Yeah, I mean, there's a part of me that thinks they might, you know, well, I guess no, they wouldn't because today was the last episode. But I thought for a minute that they were going to try and make it a triple threat, and that's why they were giving Lee a little bit of love. But I guess not. I guess that doesn't make any sense considering the pay-per-views this Sunday. And the fact that Lee ate the punt kick on Raw tonight, which in theory has always been a death blow until, you know, Shawn Michaels kept trying to stand up from it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Shawn. <laughs> it's a way to put yourself over, buddy. <laughs> Still. <laughs> All right. Um, T-Bar, Mace... <laughs> and slapjack. Oh man, Tony, I got three simple words, and I'm pretty sure you know what they are here. What the what? Fuck? fuck? It's like nicknames you would give at camp, but like computer camp. <laughs> I will give I will give Lawler credit, and I can't believe I'm actually about to say this. He actually kind of made the T bar one make a little bit of sense. Did you hear? What he said it stood for? Mm, no. That boy ain't right. <laughs> That's funny. That legit taught me like it did you when I was watching live. But stupid names aside, we finally see members of Retribution in action tonight in a six-man tag match as Cedric Alexander works twice. We'll talk about his earlier match a little bit later. But... In the end, the Hurt Business took up a disqualification victory with that stupid outside interference from the apron rule that I absolutely hate. <laughs> yeah, that matters one week and then doesn't the next. You didn't like this match. I actually thought it was okay. I do think that the I do think that the guys in Retribution should have been a little bit more dominant given the fact that this was their in-ring debut. But I can understand not wanting to put too much on the hurt business since they've been kind of the hottest act on the wall for the last couple of months. Yeah, no, I, I wasn't a fan of the match at all. I mean, the hurt business has been on the show. They're great. They're doing great. They've been great. But you put them against retribution, and we're, we're, we're left to decide who are we cheering for. Like, who do we want to win this? Because Retribution's message, they may think it's clear, but it makes no sense. It makes zero sense. I mean, in an ideal world, these people would be some of the wrestlers that WWE fired. They would have every reason to be pissed off. Like, we are pure athletes. We just wanted to wrestle. You fucked us over, and now we're here because we're pissed. These are people that, even if, we're to, even if we pretend that we don't know who they are, where did they come from? Why would they be mad? And how do you fight wrestlers who have contracts to give them fame and money by signing a contract in which you will receive the very same thing you're fighting against? It doesn't make any sense. It's not even like a, a dumb um, 
evil person. It just, it doesn't, that doesn't compute. Again, I mean, it's like the fourth time I've said it tonight. It's just insulting your audience. This makes no sense whatsoever. And how are you destroying from within? And who hired you? Who signed these contracts? Who said it was okay? The last time Vince McMahon tried to poison the WWE was with NWO. And he had a reason. I mean, one could argue it wasn't that great of a reason, but at least there was some sort of story. Who made this this sign? And did you sign just the five, the five that we saw? Or did you sign all of these motherfuckers who, for whatever reason, still go through the crowd, even though they're technically hired? Their entrance has no music. It's so it's just it's all so juvenile and just really dumb, and it's insulting. It's super insulting. And of course, there's that random ass camera in the crowd that like just suddenly appears only when retribution is attacking and has this fuzzy graininess to it. In an ideal world, Harry, that would be another member that we just don't know about yet. But like it's it's not. <laughs> it's just bad. It's all bad. And See, tonight was no different. I actually. See, I actually do think that that will end up being the case, that it's going to be somebody from Retribution in the crowd. It's going to be like the old ECW fan cam. I mean, I would would love that because it would make, it would give it a reason. It's one of those things where you're like, okay, good, that that makes sense. Because right now, uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh. I can't believe I'm doing the scoring for fantasy wrestling while we're doing the podcast, and I can't believe I actually have to type out the words Mace, Slapjack, and T Bar. <laughs> I, I hate my life sometimes, Tony. I really do. Yeah, well. I'm going to edit that later once we're done with the show in order to put their actual names in there. Anywho. So that takes us to the other talking points from tonight's episode of Raw. And you you posted something in the Raw report that I wanted to talk to you about specifically. Uh-huh. Because this is something that we are in absolute 100% agreement on. Aaliyah Mysterio is the best actor in the family. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And not only that, but you caught something last week that I didn't with her checking on Murphy, and it appears that there's going to be a little bit more than just her checking on Murphy because Ray, conf- Ray mentions the fact that the reason Aaliyah checked on Murphy is because that's how she was raised, and she's too young and naive about this business to know any better. Aaliyah storms off and then gets into it with Ray backstage as well, before Murphy comes in and checks in on Aaliyah and then tells her that he appreciated her checking on him last week and that if this has done anything to cause her any kind of issues, if his involvement in the situation has done anything to cause her any kind of issues, then he's truly sorry. Sorry. All right. This is a two-part question, Tony. One, are we looking at a babyface turn from, from Murphy here with Aaliyah? Or two, is this just another way for Seth to play mind games with the Mysterio family by having Murphy lure Aaliyah in on the pretense that Aaliyah's trying to save him? I mean, I kind of want it to be a face turn for Murphy because this just needs to end. And I'm not sure when Becky's due, but like I told you, Seth was not going anywhere. Um, but eventually December. he will. So, 
Yeah, so let's just kind of get that ball rolling, please, because the whole Mysterio versus Seth thing is annoying. Uh, even the segment with him coming out saying Dom's not raised father. Like, if you want to stick with kayfabe, everybody knows that. You, you're not shining the light on anything. Like, everyone's aware that it's Eddie's kid and Ray just won custody. Like, that, that was the storyline <laughs> going in. If you, if you want to ignore that completely, then, like, what is this Nobody. do? What, what is what is what is the plan here? You know, it just, it comes off as, is there's no reason for Seth to continue this because he has beaten Ray. He has beaten Dominic. There's, there's no reason for this to keep going. I wouldn't be opposed to this being a Murphy, a Murphy face run with, I, I stand by what I said a couple of weeks ago, Tony, Aliyah Mysterio is a beautiful young woman. And she's mm-hmm. somebody that I do think that they could find a television role for because you'll notice that she who shall not be named from The Bachelor has not been around the last couple of weeks. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't even know what what that means. <laughs> Ignorance is bliss, though. My point Listen, being I, that I'm I nothing that... if not a person who lives his gimmicks. So. <laughs> <laughs> AJ says hello. Yeah. Lost you for a second there. Hold on. Reset. Okay. If anything, that role that they had her in is a role that I think Aaliyah would be perfect in because she seems to have the acting chops to pull it off. Well, I mean, just because I said she was the best actor in the Mysterio family doesn't mean she's good. So (laughs) it just means she's better than Ray and Dominic. (laughs) Um,. But I, don't I know. think it's just you, there is a stigma there where that's Ray's daughter, and it will forever be that. So unless she plans on being a part of the, you know, um, the product like legitimately, then I, you know, that's sure. Try it out. Why not? I don't care. But I don't think that that's the case right now. And I don't know what the family dynamic is, but like, are they getting? Are they all getting paid for this? Because Ray is coming up, and you could tell simply by the clothes that they wear. You know that shirt that Dom was wearing? It's probably like two hundred and fifty bucks. Like, these fools got money. <laughs> they should. All of them are cashing a fucking paycheck now. Exactly. Jesus. Angie had to do something to afford the clothing she's been wearing on television the last couple of weeks. Jesus. Fucking bow tie shirt. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm ready for Murphy versus Seth. I'm ready for Murphy to get a little bit of a push, for Seth to give him the win and give him the rub and I'm ready for Ray and Dom to move on. Um, I'm not ready for Dom to be tagging with Umberto. I get the relationship, but it just seems so forced. And uh, he kind of seemed out of his element in that match. Uh, if you wanted to move towards that, the small moments with Andrade and Murphy though, that got me hyped. I'm like, I need to see these guys go. Cause damn. Apparently, Zelina walking out on them is exactly what Andrade and Angel Garza needed to get their shit together as they become the number yeah, one contenders for the Raw Tag Team title. Probably the story that they're going with. You know, she's going to lose to Asuka, but, like, go back to managing them. Okay. Let me throw something out at you here. Get your thoughts on it. They win the tag titles earlier in the show. Zelina loses to Oscar. Zelina tries to go back to managing uh, Andrade and Angel, and they realize that she was the cause of their issues. 
I mean, yeah, that works too. I don't know where that leaves Zelina, but finding somebody to go after Angel Andrade and Angel. Yeah, that could work. Whatever, whatever keeps stories growing. Right now, they're more interested in keeping stories going, and it's become just so obvious that you know any combination of wrestlers that we see, we feel like we've seen it already. Like we've seen Andrade and Angel versus uh, Street Profits, and yeah, maybe Zelina's not there, but. It really doesn't feel all that different. Had to pause my cough drop for a second there. Kevin Owens show with special guest Shane McMahon in order to hype up a match that's happening later on the same fucking show I'm already watching. KO show felt like a waste of time. Oh, it certainly was a waste of time. I really think that Shane is feeding his own ego with these with this entire raw underground thing. But um you know, I get the impression that Kevin Owens shows up to work and they hand him the script and he goes Really? I all right, I'll try to make it work. Like <laughs> cause you, you get okay. the idea that like he's aware that this isn't good. You know, like there's some I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's delivery or how he carries himself. But you get the impression that he's like, this is not good, and I know it's not good, but I'm going to try for you guys, okay? Like, <laughs> I'm going to do my best. He's, 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 he's taking the Matt TV route. Look what I can do. Because, I mean, he's getting paid. He's got a family to take care of, you know? And it's like, all right, I mean, fuck, I, I guess. I, I can liken it to certain things at my job where – there's some, I, I run the show, right? And there's an owner and he lets me do whatever I want. Right. But there are some ideas of his that he wants to put in play. Um, he used to own a place in Ohio. Now the crowds are different in Ohio than they are in LA. So whereas a crowd in Ohio may nah. love the fact that if you go to a bar and you got $2 beers in Ohio, that's a gift to the community you know, where everybody knows your name. And, you know, he, he was from, I think, Defiance, which I don't know where that is in relation to you. But he said it was a little bit of a smaller town feel. So $2 beers, that's like a gift to your customers, right? $2 beers in a bar in L.A. is insulting. It's like, well, what are you, some type of cheap-ass dive bar? Or like, you know? So I liken that to him where, like, some ideas I'm going to let him go ahead and run with. But some I'm just like, I mean, I I guess you could try it. I don't sure, man, whatever you want, you know? <laughs> and I feel like Owens does that a lot. Owens is like, yeah, buddy. Okay. Yeah. He's sitting there. He's like, yeah, Shane, we fucking hate each other. We tried to kill each other, but you know, that's water under the bridge. And I just got this impression where he was like, how could this be water under the bridge? You idiot. But whatever. Fuck it. <laughs> So you're saying that when he said that out loud, that was his way of saying, creative, what the fuck? I think so. I truly think that he does that with almost every KO show. You know, even when he had to go to Raw Underground, like on Twitter, I think he said, I don't know what he said, but it came off like almost tongue-in-cheek where he's like, I guess I'm doing this tonight. (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised to see Kevin leave when his contract expires. And and it pains me to say that because I love Kevin Owens. But Owens is a guy who I think, while the money is nice, I think he could make just as much elsewhere and enjoy the creative freedom to be Kevin Steen that he doesn't enjoy as Kevin Owens. Does that make sense? 
It does. One can't really tell the motives of another person, though. I mean, for when you look at the people who aren't mad, Tyler Breeze, Heath Slater, even to a degree Zach, Ry- to a degree Zach Ryder, you hear the same thing. I've made money. I'm taking care of my family. I'm not injured. I'm not really busting my ass, per se. The only thing that keeps them going into, like, wanting more is their love for wrestling. But you just think of how long Kevin Owens has been doing this. Eventually, you enter that second half of your career where you're just like, I'm just going to keep doing this as long as I can to provide for my family. And the WWE makes it relatively easy to provide for your family. And I think that's what motivates a lot of wrestlers. You can't get mad at them for, you know, like not being upset because they're not getting the push that we as fans think they deserve. When the wrestlers themselves, like Tyler Breeze, I remember he had tweeted or had an interview where he basically said, like, you guys need to shut the fuck up because I'm living my dream. I bought my house. I have my family. Like, I'm good. Like, don't trip. We're good. And I think that, you know, Kevin Owens may very well be in that group now. He's been doing it for a long time. I mean, he, you know, he's been with the WWE now for six years. Mm-hmm. And how long has he wrestled before that? I mean, I remember PWG shows where I was like, look at this fucking guy in gym shorts and duct tape, and then being blown away and shut the fuck up because he murdered it. <laughs> uh, to answer that question, Kevin Owens of oh, oh, Steam started in 2002. Oh, as a wrestler with, uh, with IWS, the International Wrestling Syndicate. Yeah. I was at his final PWG match. I remember that. I will never forget it. He did Snow Angels and Streamers. Um, that was, I'm pretty sure that was the same night I met El Generico, who, as far as I know, is still in Mexico, unfortunately. I hear he's doing really good work with Los Angelitos de El Generico, though. Oh, okay. That's good. That's good. Indeed. It's nice to know that he's carrying on the, along the good work. <laughs> um, Tony, we ignore the 24-7 title on this show. Usually. I can't ignore the 24-7 title tonight. <laughs> because, you know, there's, there's an episode of Happy Days where the fawns jumped over a shark. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it created um, a, a whole new term in television lore. And I believe that the WWE, um, probably not intentionally, did just that tonight. <laughs> um, I'm actually even going to take it a step further. This was insulting as a wrestling fan. <laughs> and the reason I say that, I don't think this was the intent. At least I hope it wasn't, because if it was, then whoever's in creative for this should be fucking fired immediately. You know what I thought when I saw this segment with them in the ocean? What? And and our truth cradling his baby? Uh, Shad. Shad Gaspard. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That is not a comparison I should be making on a wrestling show in 2020. This was absolutely fucking tone deaf. 
like AEW caught shit for the uh, the the lake of reincarnation water being in the pool in Jacksonville for the stadium stampede match, and that happened like right after Shad Gaspar's death, so they kind of got a ration of shit for it there. This was more offensive mm-hmm. than that was, in my opinion. Akira Kizawa got lost at sea. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, like, is Akira supposed to be dead? Like, I don't... (laughs) Whoever came up with this segment should be fired. Zelina Vega Vega and Mickey James for the number one contendership for the Raw Women's title. (laughs) Poor Mickey. (laughs) I mean, I get it, though, because Zelina seemed to be the way they were leaning with it. I will say this much, it does kind of telegraph the finish for Classic Champions because I don't think Mickey's done with Asuka yet, and odds are that if they end up hooking it back up again, it'll be for the women's title, so it kind of makes Zelina's challenge at Classic Champions a foregone conclusion. Yeah, I mean, there's no... You're, the, the way you're going with this is Zelina wins, so I'm not even upset about it. Like this, it, I like that we're giving her an opportunity. Some people think it's weird that she's got hot-shotted, but the fire in her and the address that she made, this is different than someone just winning a number one contendership match and going to fight the champion. This is different than that. This is someone making a proclative statement and following it up by attacking, by, you know, doing what she did. Like, she's this is good, <clears throat> but she's not going to win. Also, before we go any further, I feel the need to bring this up. You need to stop being so pervy towards Zelina in your Raw report. That's my gimmick on this show. Uh, you know, why don't you tell her to stop using the octopus like AJ did and the backstabber like Sasha did, and maybe I'll back off. Oh, is that what it is? It's a best of both worlds situation for you? I mean, it's, if anything, it's a carbon copy, but I'll take what I can get. I miss AJ so she much. Did, she did play AJ in the movie. I know. It was bad, too. I didn't like it. <laughs> uh, to be fair, she's Hispanic. AJ's Caucasian as fuck. No, I think she's Puerto Rican. Seriously? I think so. I'm pretty sure. I know her last name is Mendez, but seriously, Puerto Rican? I don't buy yeah. that. Uh, any, yeah, any. I, I'm almost positive, if I recall from her book. Bianca Belair video package. At least they're doing something with her now? I mean, the something is stupid, but it's something, right? Yeah, I mean, she just proved that she's a better man than I am. And, I mean, that's a little bothersome, but I guess I'll take it. (laughs) You don't have a choice. If she tells you you're taking it, you're taking it. Yep. All right. The other Cedric Alexander match on this show, Cedric versus Apollo. Apollo apparently has a United States title rematch at Classic Champions, despite the fact that rematches aren't a thing and Apollo hasn't won a match in, like, six months. Or at least it feels like he hasn't won a match. He did win his match tonight, though, because Cedric got distracted by the oldest cliche in professional wrestling. 
the roll-up. Nothing? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it it was inoffensive. It was, you know, whatever. It, it, it needed to happen, so that's fine. Um, however, the uh, I, I think I made a joke in the report that uh, Cedric made a crack about Apollo's kid and a kid, and then Apollo comes out with his son. Oh no, that was Ricochet. Um, but that was that was the most entertaining entertaining <laughs> aspect. <of it. laughs> Ow. Funny but foul. Yeah. Now the Hurt Business is killing it right now. They're doing great, and I mean. I don't know if them fighting retribution is a face turn per se, but you know, it did cause a few issues at the end of the show with not really knowing or caring who to kind of stand by and root for. All right. We already discussed the Seth Rollins segment. Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax versus Lana and Natalia and the match is over before we can even discuss it. You know, I, 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 you and I have spoken about, um, I don't really like rumors and listening to internet stuff and, you know, one could assume certain things, but, um, seeing Lana get crashed into a table two weeks in a row, is kind of like, are you sure you're not mad? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, See, if it wasn't such a serious situation, with uh, regards to Liz's mom, I was going to make the joke that Liz Puglisi's not here because she's still mad at us for not thinking Lana deserves better. Oh, man, she was heated. <laughs> but I mean, but that's I'm okay, sorry, though. I, I, I don't think that she deserves better. It's, just, it's like it's like the Eva Marie syndrome where, you know, you're hired to do a job, and if your job is to be a wrestler, then you have to be competent. Because if you're not, then what are you there for? And I don't see her as competent. Although, I will say that tonight, she looked a little bit more crisp. You just really couldn't tell because the match was so damn short. (laughs) Apparently, Tony's stopwatch works for this match, and the match runtime listed in the Raw report is 52 seconds. That Mm -hmm. is not a mistake, folks. You know what the saddest part about that 52 seconds was? is that was 52 what? seconds more of commentary than Liv Morgan was capable of. The poor girl cannot talk. Ooh, that was rough. Like, they're okay together in backstage segments. They're okay feeding off of each other inside of the ring. But giving that girl a live microphone was not a wise decision tonight. She was stumbling over herself something awful. <clears throat> I like Liv. I want better for Liv because I think Liv is one of those people who genuinely is trying to get better. Genuinely trying Mm -hmm. to improve. The microphone is not her friend. Yeah, commentary should be a little little bit more loose flowing and able to kind of show some personality, but that was rough. All right. Peyton Royce and Oscar is apparently Peyton Royce is getting to start starting to get a little bit more of a featured presentation on Raw, which is what many people have been kind of anticipating here. The match itself goes mm-hmm. to a disqualification when Zelina Vega gets involved at the finish. Are you surprised to see them protecting Peyton here? Because I do think that this is the match that they will eventually run back for the Raw Women's Title. 
Yeah, no, I'm not surprised by it. I'm surprised by Billy being there. And like, I'm not saying she can't be there, but like, why break them up anyway? They could have just as easily been singles competitors, you know, with a conversation. Hey, let's try uh-huh. and get this title, you know? No, that was a situation that was done spur of the moment decision in order to make that match try to mean something than what it did. And it was a dumb That's decision, tough. and I think they have no one cares. Like we talked about. Like we talked about the buyer's remorse with Otis and the Money in the Bank contract, I think there's buyer's remorse on Raw with the breakup of the Iconics. Idiot. All right. Then we have our six-man main event that we already discussed a little bit earlier, and that's tonight's episode of Monday Night Raw. Uh, What are your thoughts thoughts on wearing Christmas underwear not in December? Uh, what kind of underwear are we talking here? Well, the ones in question uh, have Elf, the character from the movie Elf, on all over them. And I feel awkward Elf, trying to wear those. I feel like I feel like Elf is one of those situations that you could wear Elf year-round. I, I, I don't know why yeah. you'd want Will Ferrell's face near your penis, but hey, so be it. All right, cool. I would... Um, I my was, final reaction to Raw. <laughs> I was thinking more along the lines of like, I have a pair of Santa boxers that get worn uh-huh. on occasion still, for the exact reason that you would think they they would be worn. Because you want to play with your jingle balls. My my girlfriend's a big fan of Christmas. We'll leave it at that. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Yeah, I think I gave it a 4.5 in the report. I stand by that. Tonight, I really really wanted to, after what happened with AEW, I wanted to give WWE a fair shake. So I started off with, like, a lot of positivity in my mind. Like, let me try and really, really enjoy this because I am getting a lot of flack from the Reefers. And you know me. I don't particularly care. But I don't want to become that. AEW is the best WWE sucks person. I want to review every show on its own. And I don't compare the two. It's not like AEW gets a 10 because WWE gets a 4. They're completely different. And the expectations are different. I could argue that an 8 an eight scored AEW show is equivalent to like a 10 scored WWE show. Like I'm, I'm a little bit more easy on WWE shows because I know what to expect. Um, but they just, I don't know, like, like I said tonight multiple times, I felt insulted on more than one occasion. Like, it was just, it was annoying to the point where I just, like, why am I, why am I giving you guys my time of day when you're not even treating me with respect as an audience viewer member? I think that there's opportunities on Raw still in order to go somewhere important or somewhere interesting with some of the stuff that's going on. So I'm not quite as harsh on the product that you are. I do think that you have the unfortunate downturn of having to sit and recap everything that happens during an episode of Raw, whereas Mm -hmm. while I'm watching the show, I get to flip back and forth to the Monday Night Football game on commercials or go get myself a snack or do something to take myself out of that immediate wrestling bubble. Yeah. So, like, I would be curious to do this podcast one day where you actually don't review Raw, but you just do the podcast instead. And right. alternatively, 
I would be curious to do the podcast one day where I do the typing for the Raw Report because I've helped you fill in with that before and see if that kind of changes my perception of the show overall when I notice the little things that maybe I don't notice when I'm just watching it kind of casually, having it on at points as background noise that I can kind of not pay attention to that you don't have the luxury of doing so. Right. Favorite match or moment from this week in WWE TV? Um, I'm going to go with Sammy versus AJ. I had a lot of fun watching it. I thought that Sammy came back with some fire. He really wanted to prove himself. And who better to do that with than AJ? I'm going to go with the main event on SmackDown, even though Street Fight's kind of maybe a misnomer. I do think that the effort was there, and I love the story that it told as well. Mm-hmm. Like, I've, I've said many times that I am a wrestling-first kind of guy, but when you have the opportunity to mix the wrestling with the story that you're trying to tell, so much the better, you know? Yep. The 24-7 title segment can go fuck itself. <laughs> That's my Greg Watchery for the week, and it might be my Greg Watchery of the year. It was that effective. Yeah, my, my Greg Watchery is uh, Braun Strowman and the Yabba Dabba Doo Kid. Um, there's a lot of I things love wrong the with fact that you, I love the fact that you came up with a different name for him every time you mentioned his name in the report. <laughs> I, I really did. <laughs> um, it, the, it, was that, it was worth it. <laughs> yeah, no one's interested in Braun right now. And, I mean, I've seen him lift fucking trucks and RVs and ambulances and fire truck. Like, why do I care about this? This is no different. There's no set rules, so I don't know what I'm supposed to be looking for when they clash. And if you look at it from a wrestling standpoint of creating new people and new stars and everything, you just made this new kid that you showing off as, like, the next big thing, this huge-ass monster, seven-foot whatever, you made him eat a right hook, and now he's just another person. It didn't help Braun. I don't think that Braun's more of a monster now. I don't think that he's better now. I mean, I, 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 don't, I, don't, know, I don't know. I don't know what to think. I just know that I didn't gain anything from this, and I don't think that this kid did either. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I wasted time. I know what that kid gained. That kid gained an L he really didn't need at this point in his career. Yeah, I and mean, what does an L mean on Raw Underground, you know? Like, I just don't – There's all of it's nonsensical. I don't – I'm not interested. I'm not interested in anything that happens. I'm definitely not interested in trying to prove that Dolph Ziggler is anything remotely close to, like, a badass <laughs> um, in these segments. The match between Eric and Riddick Moss, literally, and I paid close attention to this, is nothing that you wouldn't be able to see on a regular episode of Raw. They were slightly more aggressive, but the, the lockups were there. The multi-cuts were there. No move was illegal in terms of wrestling. So it just like, what's the point? Eric threw a nice German suplex. Mm-hmm. Because I a can't move tell you how many you times I've fought. A regular match. I, uh, hold, I was just about to say, I can't tell you how many times I've thrown a German suplex in a real fight, Tony. <laughs> oh, it, Sometimes yes, I can. The answer some... is zero. Yeah. Sometimes I think to myself, if I ever got in a fight, which wrestling move can I shock them with because they have no idea that it's coming? <laughs> and just, you, I, I would advise most people 
to understand that the German suplex is not a move that you should do because the other person has to help you. And, <laughs> and in a real fight, they most certainly are not going to lift their feet for you. Uh, fun fact, I actually have used a wrestling move in a real fight before. Nice. I put somebody in the crossface chicken wing. <laughs> That's just rude, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> That's a story for another time, Tony. All right, we already discussed our show rating for the week, so who's your MVP for this week? Um... Jeez, man, nobody really struck a chord. Let's just give it to Roman Reigns. Uh, His facial expressions really, really sealed the deal this week for me. I'm going to go same show, similar format, but different person. I'm going to go with Big E and the way that he portrayed his his anger in that backstage segment with Larry. Because fuck Larry. (laughs) Yeah. Bastard. Oh, all right. Speaking of Larry, it was funny. I mentioned I mentioned Larry Tonka. Not uh, that on Larry. The nerd. Yeah, no, it was funny because Patrick. I don't know if you know him. He's very, very calm. Doesn't really rage. Patrick opposite of, Yeah, he's complete opposite of Greg. There's like you know he's he, this guy could never hurt a fly. So there was a brief mention of Larry, and I said that I'm basically all over the site now. Like I'm you know, uh, I, I said I could never be Larry. But I really feel like as the last fuck you before he died, he, like, made me do all of this work. And I said, I can't even I, – I feel like I'm Larry's missing leg. And Patrick was like, oh, shit. Okay, we're going to go. <laughs> See, Larry would just, laugh at that joke. Yeah, I think Larry would appreciate it big time. Yeah. <laughs> Rest in peace, Larry. Um, if you guys take a look over on the on the 411 Mania website, the GoFundMe for Larry's daughters and his wife is still active. If you guys have an opportunity to, by all means, feel encouraged to support them. Larry gave us years of his life dedication to the sport, the pseudo sport that we all love. <coughs> so if you could, yeah, man, little, I can't imagine. He's probably forgotten more wrestling matches than I've watched. Like, geez. If you could send a little love to the family, to Christy and the girls, by all means, feel free to do so over on the GoFundMe page. All right. Enough of a down note, Tony. You ready to do these Class of Champions predictions? (coughs) Forgot about that. Yeah, I guess. Let's go. We'll make it quick. It's nine title matches. Women's tag team titles, Nia and Shayna versus the Riot Squad. (laughs) Nia and Shayna. And I hope it's quick. I don't want to see them wrestle. (laughs) Hold on. I'm dying. Give me a second. (coughs) All right. I'm good. Yeah, Nia and Shayna, I'm guessing, inside of five minutes. Let's stick with the women and go to the Raw Women's title match. Asuka and Selena Vega. And for some fucking reason, this is on the pre-show, Tony. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, Asuka's winning. If there was any chance of Zelina winning, this match wouldn't be on the pre-show. Yeah, and if she did win on the pre-show, man, that would suck. <laughs> 
Bailey and Nikki Cross for the SmackDown Women's title. Bailey, because Sasha is coming for that ass. Bold prediction. Nikki to throw people off because Sasha's going to be gone for a while. You know, I did consider that. I considered Sasha... I mean, before the promo that she cut, I considered their feud to be above the title, you know? So Bailey would lose the belt because Sasha caused some type of loss, and it became a blood feud. And I think that that holds much more weight than, you know, I'm going to come steal your title. Even though it still works, it still makes sense. No, I agree. I don't think they need the title. It's one of those situations where... Sometimes the title makes the wrestler, sometimes the wrestler makes the title, and sometimes they have no real reason to interact with one another. Mm-hmm. All right, yeah, let's go I would, to I would the just smack- love to see them. Just fucking, like, oof. Man, that eventual match, I, I just, I hope the best for them because the expectations are high, and I don't expect anything less than great, but, you know, WWE but has a way of putting them in a fucking with them. And it's putting them in a dangerous position when you go in with expectations as high as they are. Yeah, because I think NXT has had a lot more freedom to take their time in matches and really create something magical. But the WWE, like the big shows, they just, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know what kind of formula they use, but it, it, it almost like takes away the, the, the fun that any NXT match has had, or character. Like, you see some people from NXT, and you're like, these guys can put on a banger. Just watch. And then you watch them, and you're like, well, what the fuck happened? Like, if we saw you do this, we we know what you're capable of. And then, you know, but it's not their fault. It's the WWE's booking on the big shows, as opposed to, you know, NXT takeovers, which I think have a lot more freedom. Run SmackDown real quick here. You ready? SmackDown tag titles, Cesaro and Shinsuke versus two members of the Lucha House Party. My guess would be Kalisto and Lince to blow this up once and for all. Yeah, Cesaro and um, Shinsuke are going to take it for sure. It'll probably be a really short one, too. I hope they get time, though. They're great. The thing is, is all four of them are are good to excellent wrestlers, depending on the day of the week and the mood that they're in. Lince's kind of hit and miss. I, I've, I've been the first person to say that about Lince for years, just going all the way back to Chikara. Kalisto's a fucking amazing wrestler. He just hasn't had a full-on opportunity to show it on a consistent basis. Cesaro, I don't think we need to sing his praises any further on this show. We've been doing it for years. It's kind of redundant at this point. And Shinsuke, when motivated, is still one of the best wrestlers in the world. Mm-hmm. Intercontinental title is on the line as... Where's the Intercontinental? Oh, it's the Triple Threat Ladder match. Duh. As Jeff Hardy technically defends against Sami Zayn and AJ Styles. So, my prediction is Jeff Hardy. My yearning is for Sami Zayn. Uh, Tony? My prediction is Sami Zayn. I think that there's more money in the chase for Jeff Hardy with Sammy than there is in Jeff being the Intercontinental Champion. I mean, yeah, but I'm I'm just tired of Jeff Hardy. Like, I don't like his chase stories. They're so just formulaic and boring. 
As long you know, as how many times is he going to overcome his demons? I was just about to say, as long as he's not trying to overcome his demons again, I'm all for it. I'm all for him going after Sammy in a one-on-one basis. And I do think that you could slot AJ into the main event picture on SmackDown, and everybody would be happy with that. Yeah, it'd be nice to see Roman and AJ. Because the last time they ran that was with uh, AJ as a heel and Roman as a babyface. I think the dynamic on that being reversed would be interesting, seeing Roman almost like a bully towards the smaller Styles. The problem is Styles is so good as a heel that do you really want to turn him? Yeah. Well, maybe he'll face Speaking Jay. Of... <laughs> Speaking of Roman, SmackDown heavyweight title match, the Universal title, sees Roman defending against Jey Uso. Go ahead. I fucking dare you. <laughs> I think Jay's going to take it, man. I think they're going to do twin magic. And Jay... <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, Roman <laughs> is, going to... <laughs> is going to destroy his cousin. I think he'll get a, like a flurry of offense just to make it people go like, wow. And then rain will just truck him down. I know some people are like, Oh, finger poke of doom. I, I would love to see an eventual stable with reigns and the twins. Um, but like all of them being evil, but I think that it's going to, that's going to take some time. And I don't even know what's going on with Jimmy. Uh, shoulder. I don't know his return uh, okay. time. Uh, um, I think Jay is going to take it. He's going to take a massive ass whooping. <laughs> it's going to be bad. Roman's going to apologize to Jay before the match for the beating he's going to give him. <laughs> and then probably again afterwards. All right. Over to the Monday Night Raw side of things. We have the Street Profits defending against Andrade and Angel Garza. You know, the Street Profits, they just they they're not doing it for me as champions. I, I like Ford. I think that Dawkins is growing, but this is a tag team that really needs a crowd because right now they're just kind of dead in the water, in my opinion. So if Andrade and Garza did take it, I would I would kind of be excited about it. The only thing I don't like is that um, Andrade and Garza have been kind of made to be like you know fodder for the champions, like. So if they win, it's not like a, it's not like you could say they deserved it. So I don't really know. I guess if I have to do a prediction, and I do because you're making me, um, I would say Andrade and Angel. Street Profits retain just because that seems to be the modus operandi. I think that eventually we're gonna have to get new. We're gonna have to get somebody new into the tag team division over on Raw. I don't know who that yeah. is. You know who I kind of like to see is an oddball pairing? Mm. I kind of like to see Murphy team with Dominic. Ugh. I don't want to see Dominic that way in a tag team. See, I think he needs somebody to work with that's more experienced than him right now, though. I do think that eventually he'll get there, but I don't know that he's necessarily there yet when he's not working with Seth or Buddy. Or Seth, or don't call me Buddy, pal, Murphy. I think so, too. I just I don't like that he's basically – it feels like Dominic has a wrestling checklist, and he's just going down the list. And that just means that he's going to burn himself out, 
and he's going to burn the audience out. You know, cage match, street fight. It's like, let's do all these things to just get them done. And it's like, you know, most wrestlers, this that takes years and blood feuds and feuds that are like, you know, high impact and, you know, long, lengthy. And, you know, he's. I feel like he's going in tag team champion is just another notch on the list that, you know, just I don't think it has as much weight as it would if he were a longer tenured wrestler. So what you're saying is it's almost like he's getting these kind of matches because he's somebody's son. I think he's getting these matches because they desperately want to prove that he didn't just get hired because he's Ray's son. I think they're trying to show you that he is worthy. And you can tell by commentary, by them bringing up the, the, all the matches he's been through and the beating he's taken. Like, they're trying to show you, you know, we didn't just hire him because he's Ray's son. Like, he, he's trying his best, which I, I, I get it. But like I said, it comes off kind of like, you know, he's just checking a list and eh, kind of takes away from it a little bit. Bobby, Bobby Lashley defends the U.S. title against Apollo Crews because apparently despite having a 1-46 in 46 record this year, Apollo's still in contention. <laughs> Apollo! Yeah, Lashley's going to beat his ass. Apollo and his son, Ricochet. I wouldn't be surprised to see a no contest here because of retribution. Oh God. I do think that You know, I will I will say that MVP has had the most consistent gripe with retribution. So I do like that he's the one that's like we'll fucking fight you. You know, they were messing with him his matches. He was the only one mad about the lights flickering. He's literally like, What's going on? So it's like I enjoyed that. They just looked like complete like no match, you know, for the Hurt Business. And that's not what you want from a uh, a debuting group who kind of prides themselves on being anarchist. You don't want them to look weak, and boy, do they look weak. I think it also handcuffs uh, T-Bar Dijakovic in that you can't see the more dynamic portions of his offense right now because he's not he's not able to do so. His, the whole thing with, the whole thing with uh, Dijakovic has always been the fact that he's so athletic for a guy his size, but the gimmick that he finds himself in right now does not lend itself towards being athletic. Yeah, well, I, I've said it before. They're, they're, they're dead in the water. They're, they're not. This is not going to go grow into anything great. They might try to push it as such, but it's, no. If this had an Tony, audience, I, I could almost guarantee that they would shit all over this. Tony's already over it. Yeah, been over it. Doesn't make any sense. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, to be fair, you were shitting on them before it was the cool thing to do. Mm-hmm. Why <laughs> <Aren't> I always... <laughs> McIntyre and Orton for the Raw Heavyweight Championship. Um, this is interesting because I think an Orton win would be kind of cool, killing it with promos. Uh, but I don't think that they're done with Drew quite yet. I think there's more. Uh, I, I say more money. I, I think there's more intrigue in a Drew Keith Lee match at Survivor Series than there is in an Orton Keith Lee match at Survivor Series. So I'm going to say McIntyre retains. Because I do think that Keith Lee's getting the next uh, 
the next major title shot, and it'll probably be his moment will come at Survivor Series. Do you think having uh, Hell in a Cell coming up so shortly, so, so soon, so within soon. like the next calendar month, is going to affect the way that they go with some of these matches here at Clash of Champions? No, they don't care. Hell in a Cell is one of those pay-per-views that I'm just like, why did you book yourself into this corner? Because the matches either suck, hardly use the cell, or aren't even in Hell in the Cell, yet they're on the pay-per-view Hell in the Cell. I'm just glad there's not going to be a watch recall of him calling it heck on a deck. And fuck that guy. Excuse me, frick that guy. Weirdo. Let's put it let's put it in his parlance. Tony, I think that wraps us up. Yep. Out hour and thirty one minutes. Once again, our best wishes go out to Nanny Puglisi, Liz's mom. Hopefully everything works out well and Liz is able to rejoin us next week. If not, we understand Liz. Family first. Absolutely. This is just some wackadies talking wrestling on a podcast. It ain't important. Family first, just but, like Ray Mysterio says, Liz. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she's going to fucking kill you for that if she listens to this episode. <laughs> you thought you got your ass chewed out last week. You ain't heard a damn thing yet. I feel like you got chewed out last week. I was an innocent by Okay, <laughs> Okay, that's actually probably fair. <laughs> he is the Downton Day One co-host, Tony Acero. I'm the voice of reason, Harry Broadhurst. You have been listening to the reaction here on the Chairshot Radio Network. We'll talk to you guys next Monday night with our discussion about about Classic Champions. Watch the fucking pay-per-view, Tony. Here on the reaction presentation of the Chairshot Radio Network. Deuces, bitches. Okay, I think that's about enough of me singing for you guys there. You've been listening to The Reaction, a presentation of the Chairshot Radio Network. Join us again next Monday night at 11.30 p.m. as myself, Harry Broadhurst, Tony Acero, and hopefully Liz Puglisi bring you The Reaction, a presentation of the Chairshot Radio Network online at thechairshot.com. Also, check me out over on the uh, W2M Network this week for fantasy football and the kickoff a couple of uh, NFL and college football-related shows over there on the W2M Network. W2Mnet.com for those. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you guys next Monday night with uh, your fallout from Clash of Champions and the start of the road to heck on a deck. Fucking watchery. Hell on a cell. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.